Amen. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and He is holy, holy, holy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 1. 1. Uh, we'll be in that passage, that verse again this week. And we're currently doing a series, an apologetic series called, Do You Know Why You Believe What You Believe? And the purpose of this series, as I mentioned before, is to give you insight as to how you can defend your faith when you are faced with difficult questions. And in the culture in which we live, it's, it's difficult to answer questions we are asked with the Bible tells us so. As we live in a postmodern culture that, that does not adhere to absolute truth. The culture in which we live, they're skeptical of biblical truth and, and even scientific truth and all truth for that matter. Because in the postmodernism, each individual chooses what is truth. Truth is subjective. Truth can change. Beliefs are based on personal experience in any belief system. And all paths to truth are considered equal. All paths to truth are considered valid. And when it comes to the Bible, it's considered just one of many religious books and is subject to one's own interpretation. So based on the characteristics of this generation, you can see why answering someone's spiritual question with the Bible says so doesn't work like it used to, as the Bible is no longer valued and no longer seen as the only truth and the absolute truth and the ultimate authority. And so by doing this series, my goal is to give you well-thought-out reasons or arguments that, that you can use to defend your faith. And so far, we've answered the question, how do you know God exists? Last week, we began answering the question, does science disprove Christianity, or, or hasn't the theory of evolution replaced the creation story and disproved Christianity? And in answering this question, there are four questions we must consider. We must consider when did creation take place? Who is responsible for creation? How did creation take place? And why did creation take place? And as I mentioned last week, science seeks to answer the questions when and how. And scripture primarily seeks to answer the questions who and why. And even though the Bible is not a science book, science has never contradicted scripture. In fact, science has always confirmed Scripture, and science always points to the existence of God. And so we're not to ignore science. We're not to be afraid of it. We are to embrace it. And we can believe in science, and we can believe in God. We don't have to choose between the two. As science complements Scripture and simply affirms what Scripture already states. And last week, in looking at the question at hand, we answered the question, when did creation take place? And Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning. And I shared about how what you believe about creation, whether it's six literal 24-hour days or billions of years, it greatly impacts your theology and what you believe about God and humanity. And based on the evidence, I believe in a young earth and that God created the universe in six 24-hour days, which is consistent with the totality of Scripture. It's consistent with the character of God. It's consistent with the doctrine of sin and death. It's consistent with the foundation of the gospel as suffering and death did not enter the world until sin entered the world and not before. We also answered the question, who is responsible for creation? 
And scientists agree that the universe has not always existed, that there had to be a cause for the universe existence. There had to be a cause that wasn't caused for the universe to come to existence because something can't come from nothing. And this is a scientific fact. What science can explain is what is this first cause. And science also can explain the orderliness of the universe or why scientific laws exist and why they never change. And as we have seen, there is overwhelming evidence that points to God as the who that is responsible for the creation of the universe. And this morning, we're going to answer the other two questions about the relationship between science and creation. So the first one we're going to answer is, how did creation take place? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Hebrew word for created is the word bara. And in scripture that word is reserved for God and God alone. Meaning that God is the only one who can create. And then in Genesis 1-3 in the verses following we read read this. We'll just go to Genesis 1-3. It says, then God said, let there be light and there was light. And as you continue to read Genesis 1 in the creation account, it says, God said, or God spoke. So by the spoken word of God, all things were created. And unfortunately, there are those who deny that God created the universe. And instead, they believe in the Big Bang Theory and or the theory of evolution. Notice the key word in those two things. These are theories. These are speculation. These cannot be proven. In order to believe in the Big Bang Theory, we have to accept certain suppositions or uncertain beliefs that fall outside the laws of nature and physics. And ironically, these suppositions or these uncertain beliefs actually support the existence of God. The Big Bang Theory implies that space-time in the universe had a beginning. That the universe had to have a cause. Also at the beginning, this theory assumes that all the matter and energy of the universe was compressed into an infinitesimally small amount or a small point of almost infinite temperature and infinite density. And then you have questions arise such as where did this come from? What force held this together? And when those who espouse this theory are asked to answer these questions, they do so by stating there must be natural laws to explain all of this. However, these natural laws have not been discovered, and these natural laws will never be discovered because they do not exist. You see, the God of the Bible claims responsibility for the creation of the universe. Psalm 33, 6, the psalmist wrote, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, And all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Isaiah 40, 25 through 26 says, Who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. You see, beyond God himself claiming that he is the cause and the creator of the universe and all that exists, the physical evidence of creation proves that God exists and he was 
the Creator. Then there's the theory of evolution, which is a theory that is taught in schools as fact as how the universe came to be. There are several issues with the theory of evolution. The first is the problem of probability. If you were to take a cup of 20 dice, and each had a letter of the alphabet, the odds of these dice coming out in alphabetical order is 1 in 2.4 times 10 to the 18th. We have 206 bones in our body. The odds that they would appear in order is 1 in 10 to the 375th. Anything over 10 to the 50th is considered impossible. Then there's the problem of the fossil record. Even Darwin stated the fossil record should contain millions of transitional forms if evolution is true. However, the fossil record does not contain one single transitional form. It has been stated science has found the earliest evidence of life to be of great variety, fully formed and without transitions. You know what this points to? That God is creator. Darwin himself said, the father of the evolution theory, not one change of species into another is on record. We cannot prove that a single species has been changed. American scholar Marvin Lubinow opened his book, Bones of Contention, with these words. The human fossil record is strongly supportive of the concept of special creation. On the other hand, the fossil record is so contrary to human evolution as to effectively falsify the idea that humans evolved. Dr. John Blanchard in his book, Has Science Got Rid of God, wrote, The facts tell us that whatever we discover human fossils, and thousands have been found, they are already fully human with no signs of transition from a more primitive creature. Distinguished anatomist Lord Zuckerman, the chief scientific advisor to the, the, the UK government, concluded that if man evolved from an ape-like creature, he did so without leaving a trace of evolution in the fossil record. You know what all these quotes tell us by all these experts? That the fossil record is problematic for evolutionists. It's something for which they have no answer. The reason they have no answer, they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking at a theory instead of looking at the truth and the fact of Scripture. Then we have the problem of the missing link. Every missing link between ape and man has now been scientifically disproved. All have been shown to either be fully ape or fully human. There are no apes in human history, and the missing links are still, they're still missing today. Why do we only see animals in their created forms? Why don't we see half dogs and half cats or half monkeys and half cows? Why, don't, why aren't species not transitioning or evolving into other species? Why can't the missing links be found? You want to know why there are no missing links? It's hard for something to go missing when it didn't exist to begin with. And here's why. All they had to do was turn to Scripture. Genesis 1.25. This is what God said. Genesis 1.25. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. 
1 Corinthians 15.39 says, Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Scripture made it very clear that animals were made after their kind. And that animals would produce their own kind. And this is repeated several times in the creation account in Genesis 1 is consistent with the rest of Scripture. Also, the theory of evolution is contradicted by science itself. The theory of evolution contradicts the scientific law of biogenesis. And the scientific law of biogenesis simply says living things can only come from other living things. A non-living thing cannot produce a living thing. Life must come from life. And scientists have tried in vain to create life from non-life. And they have failed miserably. You see, life demands a life giver. And that life giver is God. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Where did life come from? Life came from the very mouth of God. Dr. George Wald, a Nobel Prize winner in biology and professor of biology at Harvard, said, There are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. Spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. That leaves us with only one possible conclusion. That life arose as a creative act of God. I will not accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible, spontaneous generation arising to evolution. Dr. Wald himself said creation could only come about. Life could only come about by God himself. However, in spite of the evidence, he chose not to believe in God. You know what Psalm 14.1 says about that? And I mentioned that last week. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Dr. Wald is clearly one of those persons that Scripture is describing. The answer is right there in front of him. As clear as day, the science proves it that, that life could only come about by there being a creator, but yet he refuses to acknowledge God and believe in God. And according to Scripture, he is a fool. And so is anyone else who denies the existence of God because the evidence clearly shows it. Also, the theory of evolution contradicts the first and second laws of thermodynamics. I don't want to get in the weeds too much with the first and second law of thermodynamics. I'm going to try to explain it as best I can. You see, the laws of thermodynamics, they're concerned with heat, mechanical energy, and the conversion between the two. And all physical, biological, and chemical processes known to man are subject to the laws of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics is also known as the law of conservation of energy. It states, nothing is now coming into existence or going out of existence. Matter and energy may be converted into one another, but there is no net increase in the combined total of what exists. So in other words, even if matter is converted into energy and vice versa, there will never be an increase or decrease in the total amount that is ever in the universe. 
So the question is, if matter and energy are neither created nor destroyed, where did all the matter, where did all the matter and energy in the universe come from? Well, there are three options. Either the universe somehow came into existence without God, even though science has proven that it's impossible for something to arise out of nothing. The second way is everything always existed in the universe. That's an idea that science has proved impossible. Or the third option is God created it. And the most reasonable and plausible explanation is that God created the universe and everything in it. There's also the second law of thermodynamics, and it states that the entropy, now entropy is simply the degree of disorder or randomness in our universe, but it states that the entropy of a closed system always increases with time. It says every system left to its own devices always tends to move from order to disorder. Its energy tended to be transformed into lower levels of availability for work, ultimately becoming totally random and unavailable for work. Isaac Asimov, a famous author and scientist, explained it this way. The universe is constantly getting more disorderly. All we have to do is nothing. And everything deteriorates, collapses, breaks down, wears out all by itself. And then that is what the second law is all about. What he's saying is over time, everything tends toward disorder. Everything tends toward randomness, and everything tends toward disorganization. And this is exactly what has been happening and is happening in our universe and world. We're not getting more orderly, we're getting more disorderly, just like the second law of thermodynamics says would happen. But this runs contrary to evolution. Evolution demands that every physical system from the atomic level on up is the result of spontaneous and increasingly complex and well-ordered processes of assembly. For example, Charles Darwin suggested that living organisms came about by a long string of infinitely complex yet random evolutionary processes. Now, a critic of this, this reasoning would say, well, the earth isn't a closed system. I mean, the earth is a closed system. And that is true. The earth is an enclosed system. You know why it's a closed system? Because we get our energy from an outside source called the sun. So evolutionists would say, well, you can't point to the second law of thermodynamics because that, that only applies to a closed system, and the earth isn't a closed system. And you know what? They might be right. However, it's important to note that, that the second law of thermodynamics on a larger scale runs contrary to what evolution says. Because according to the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, disorderliness, and randomness is always increasing. And because of that, natural processes are breaking down. They're not building up. They're not involving into what is more complicated. And this is the exact opposite of what had to happen in order for evolution to take place. For evolution to be true... The universe would have to become more orderly. And scientists will even tell you the universe is not becoming more orderly. It's heading toward disaster. It's continually breaking down. And this is evident in our everyday life. Paint on a house, chips and pills. It doesn't get better. Dust builds up. Houses fall into disrepair if preventative steps are not taken. Living things, they die and they rot and they decompose. 
And as we get older, we experience the second law of thermodynamics. Things don't work like they once did. We're not able to do the things we used to do. And our bodies break down. And what is incredible is the scriptures clearly point to the truth of the second law of thermodynamics. There are two passages of scripture I want you to pay attention to that, that support the second law of thermodynamics. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. It says this. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul wrote, our outer persons are being destroyed day by day. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 say this. Listen to this. In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish. They will wear down. They will be destroyed. They will deteriorate. But you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like a robe. But you are the same. Your years will never end. Scripture makes it very clear there's going to be an end to our earth. Someone was telling me earlier they read that in 10 billion years Saturn is going to, to crash into the earth and destroy the earth. Well, I won't be here by then, so it really won't matter. So, uh, but that's just what scientists are saying. They even realize that the earth is going to have an end. Why? Because of the laws of thermodynamics, which are supported by Scripture. Author Stephen Gawkroger, who I quoted last week, asked, Can any right-thinking person really believe in Adam and Eve? Well, perhaps they can, given recent scientific genetic research which points to the possibility that all humanity may have evolved from a single couple. Indeed, according to some genetics experts, modern-day DNA research could theoretically trace our ancestry back to one man and one woman. Isn't that amazing? All they had to do was read Genesis chapter 1. Saved us a lot of money. Did you know that Darwin himself believed in God? Did you know that Darwin himself graduated from Cambridge University with a Bachelor of Arts in Theology? And he didn't view his theories as a threat to belief in God until later in life. In his book, The Origin of Species, which set his theory of evolution in motion, he referred to God as the creator who originally believed life with its several powers into a few forms or into one. In his later years, he said, I was a young man with uninformed ideas. I threw out to people guesses, suggestions, wondering all the time over everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took, lot, took like wildfire. People made a religion of them. Toward the end of his life, Charles Darwin wrote of the impossibility of, of conceiving this immense and incredible universe, including man as a result of blind chance. He said this, When thus reflecting, I feel compelled to look for a first cause, having an intelligent mind, and I deserve to be called a theist. Darwin actually believed in God. Darwin actually believed there was a creator. But the theories that he espoused, as he said, they took like wildfire. And instead of being a theory, people looked at them as truth. 
But you know what? Science itself disproves evolution. It is a theory. Evolution is a theory, and it always will be. It will never be proven. And not only is it contrary to science, but it's also contrary to God's Word. It is only a fact to those who refuse to believe in God. Evolutionists have no answer to the question of how the universe began. They have no answer to the question, how was the universe created? And Darwin himself even didn't believe in his own theory. And even though we can disprove evolution, evolutionists cannot disprove the existence of God, nor can they disprove the authenticity of God's Word. Professor Edwin Conklin, biologist at Princeton University, made this statement. The probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of an unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a a printing factory. Someone else said it would be like a tornado roaring through a junkyard and resulting in a Boeing 747. You see, it makes so much more sense to believe that God created something beautiful and majestic out of nothing. That God is the one who created the universe and all that is in it. And we did not evolve from an amoeba. We did not evolve from anything else. We were created by God Himself, and He is the how the universe began. Brings us to our last question, why did creation take place? This question of why creation took place, science can't answer this question. But the Bible can. Isaiah 45, 18. For this is what the Lord says. God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. According to what was written in Isaiah, God created us to inhabit the world that he created. But those who deny God would say we exist to a cosmic accident whose atoms started moving at an, at an incredible rate. And then in colliding with each other, they eventually created the universe and intelligent life. How ridiculous does that sound? But here's the issue with us being a cosmic accident. Where did the atoms come from that caused it? As we've already established, everything that exists had to come from somewhere. The other explanation is that we exist because something or someone put us here. I agree with this quote. It says it seems more infinitely probable that we are here because someone decided it should be so. Rather than accounting for the existence of atoms that shouldn't exist, which randomly exploded to form the sun, the stars, the planets, and eventually down to you and me. So if God created us, which he did, why did he create us? Why are we here? This is a question the Bible can answer. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Paul wrote, By Him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Paul made it very clear that we were created by God. And we were created for God. And the fact that we are intentionally created means we have inherent value. And notice in the creation account, 
God did not speak man into existence. He spoke everything else into existence, but man was crafted by the very hand of God. We were made from the dust of the ground. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says this, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Genesis 2, 7 tells us how he did that. He said, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. You see, God created us by taking us from the dust of the ground, molding us into his image, and breathing life into us. And by the way, Scripture makes it very clear that God created male and female. Only two genders. And who would have thought that we've come to a place in time in our culture where we have to put the word biological in front of man and woman to differentiate someone's sex at birth with the current sex they want to be now. There shouldn't be any difference. The sex you were created to be is the sex you are today, no matter what you say or culture says. This is another example of disorder. This is another example of chaos. This is another example of societal breakdown. But the point is that we are a unique creation. We are a special creation as we are the only creatures who were made in the image of God. And this shows us that our lives have immeasurable worth. Because if we were not purposefully and intentionally created by God, our existence is meaningless. We have no value, we have no purpose, and we simply are here to exist. And how sad is that, that we're simply here to exist and we have no value or purpose or meaning. But because we are created by God, our existence has purpose. Our lives have value, they have meaning, and what we do on earth, it matters eternally because the value of what is created is determined by its creator. A Picasso painting is valuable because Picasso painted it. Bob Ross, the cultural phenomenon from the 1980s and early 90s, I call him the tree guy, who had the show on PBS called The Joy of Painting. His first painting from his first show just sold for over $10 million. If I would have painted that, it would have been worthless. But because Bob Ross painted it, it is worth something. You see, the creator of something determines the value of what he created. And because God created humanity, because he created us, because he designed us after himself, as Psalm 8, 5 says, we are the crown of his creation, as he has crowned us with honor and glory. And because God made us, and because God loves us, we are invaluable to him. God did not create us to just exist. He created us on purpose and for a purpose. God created us to be in a relationship with Him. Scripture said when God made us, we were made in His image. He created us to be like Him. Why? For relationship. God is all about community. 
You think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were in community with each other. They related to each other. And if God is about community, and if God made us in His image, we are to be about community. We are to be about relationships. And our most important relationship is the relationship we have with our Creator. God also created us to reflect His glory. Isaiah 26, 8 says this, Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire is for your name and your renown. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. God put us here not only to have a relationship with Him, But he put us here so so we can make him known to others, so we can be his representatives, so we can show to others that he is present in our lives. He also created us to worship him and to praise him. Isaiah 43, 21 says, The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. God said the people I created, the people I formed, they are to declare my praise. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That excludes excludes no human being. If you're breathing, you're to praise God. If you're living, you're to worship God. You have no excuse to not worship your Creator. And we are to worship Him and rejoice in Him continually. We are to never stop worshiping God. Why? Because He never stops loving us. He also created us to serve Him and obey Him. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God, keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. What does God want us to do? He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. He wants us to bring Him glory. He wants us to praise Him and worship Him. But if we're going to bring Him glory and to be in a right relationship with Him, we have to serve Him and we have to obey Him. And you and I, we are not cosmic accidents. We are a creation of a sovereign God who has a specific plan and a specific purpose for each of our lives. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began you see the only way you can fulfill his purpose for your life the only way you can glorify him the only way that you can serve him and worship him and obey him is to is to be reconciled to him meaning to have a right relationship with him through what Jesus did for you on the cross by giving your life to Jesus you can't fulfill God's purpose for your life any other way than by giving your life to Christ and being in a right relationship with God. Because if you're not in a right relationship with God, you can't love Him the way He wants you to. You can't serve Him. You can't worship Him. You can't reflect His glory and make Him known to others. Also notice in Colossians 1.17 that not only were we created by Him and for Him, but it says, By Him all things were held together. Meaning that without Jesus, everything would fall apart. And this is significant as this means that Jesus is the source of life. And He is the source of life in two ways. He is the the only way we can have eternal life. 
John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way that we can have a right relationship with God and have eternal life in the presence of God. The second way is not only is Jesus a source of eternal life and holds our spiritual lives together, he's a source of our physical life. He holds our physical lives together. I don't know if you ever heard of laminin, but I want you to see this slide. I think we have it. This is laminin. Laminin is defined as a cell adhesion molecule that holds the membranes of our bodies together. It's the protein that holds together many of the tissues in the human body and is vital for the maintenance and survival of our bodily tissues. You know what happens without laminin? Our bodies would literally fall apart. And I want you to notice what shape it's in. It's in the shape of a cross. It could have been in any other shape, but when God designed us, He decided to put what, what holds our bodies together in the shape of a cross. In His creation, and His design for us, God has placed inside of us a sign that not only is He the source of spiritual life, but He is also the source of, spirit, of physical life. And without Jesus, we would fall apart. He is not only what holds our universe together, he is what holds us together both spiritually and physically. And even though science can't answer the why of creation, God can. God can. You know, Genesis 1-1 is the foundation of all biblical theology. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning He created the entire universe. He is the one who formed it. He is the one who filled it. And the evidence supports it, and it never contradicts it. At this one verse, Genesis 1-1, it negates four humanistic views. It negates atheism. As Genesis 1-1, it affirms the existence of God. It negates polytheism as it affirms the existence of only one true God. It negates materialism, which says matter has always existed, as it affirms God created all things. He even created the matter that he designed the universe with. It also negates pantheism, which says as God evolves, nature evolves, and that God is in everything. God is not in everything. God created everything, and he does not change. He does not evolve. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The American film producer Woody Allen said, If God would only speak to me just once, if he would only cough, if I could just see a miracle, if I could see a burning bush or the seas part, or my uncle Sasha pick up the check, if only God would give me some clear sign like making a large deposit in my name at a Swiss bank. You see, Allen misses the point. He doesn't realize that God has spoken to us. And God has spoken to us in three incredible ways. He's spoken to us through creation. He's spoken to us through His Word. And He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't think that God doesn't speak to us because He does. 
And so does science disprove the existence of God? Has the theory of evolution replaced the creation story and disproved Christianity? The answer is emphatically, absolutely not. Science never has, and science never will disprove the existence of God. Nor will it ever replace creation as the reason the universe exists. And ironically, what science has done is that it has disproven the theory of evolution. It actually points to the existence of God as the creator and sustainer of the universe and of life. This morning, as we close, my prayer is if you don't have a personal relationship with God, my prayer is you'll do so before you leave this morning. That you will realize that you are not a cosmic accident. That you were created by a loving God who created you on purpose for a purpose. And the only way that you can fulfill His purpose for your life, the only way for your life to have value and to have meaning, is to give your life to Jesus by accepting what He did on the cross for you. And if that's you this morning, and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, we would love to show, with you, to show you and share with you how you can come to know Christ. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I ask you, are you fulfilling the purpose He has for your life? Are you reflecting His glory? Are you praising Him and worshiping Him because you are in awe of Him? And are you serving Him and obeying Him because you love Him? And if you hear the other decisions you need to make, whether it's church membership, maybe God's calling you to, to be a part of Red House, or maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you haven't followed Him in baptism, or maybe God has placed a specific call and purpose on your life that you want to share with your church, or if there are other decisions you need to make, you can come to this altar and pray, or I'll be down at front and I can talk to you and pray with you. But I pray that you'll understand that God is the one who created you. God is the one who sustains you. God is the one who loves you. And my prayer is that all of us would walk out of here this morning and have a relationship with God by knowing we've received Jesus into our lives and we are willing and ready to fulfill the purposes that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now and, and God, we just thank you so much for your word. Father, we just thank you that your word is truth, God. And Father, we thank you that we know how the world began. We know how the universe was created, Father. You are the one who created it, Father. You are the one who spoke it into existence. And Father, help us to understand why you created us, Father. This is a question that science can't answer. But God, you created us so you, we could have a relationship with you. And God, when sin into the world and and, and Lord, cause the division between you and us, Father. We need to have our relationship reconciled with you. And God, that's only possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone who hasn't given their life to you, they would recognize, God, that, Lord, that they need to give their life to you so they can have that right relationship with you, so they can have their sins forgiven. And God, they can live eternally in your presence. And Father, for those of us who would say, yes, Lord, I've given my life to you. I know you. I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that we'd reflect on this morning. Are we really reflecting the why of, of why you put us here, God? Are we really fulfilling the purpose you have for our lives?
God, are we giving you glory? Do our lives point others to you, Father? Do we make, other, do we make you known to others by the life that we live? God, are we worshiping you and praising you, Father, at all times? And God, are we serving you and obeying you like you've called us to do? Father, if we know you and we've fallen short in any of this, these areas, God, I pray this morning we would say, I want to show God I'm in awe of my Creator. I want to show Him how much I love Him by fulfilling the purposes that He has for my life. And Father, we just ask that you would move during this time of commitment, this time of response, that each one of us would respond to you according to the direction and guidance of your Holy Spirit. God, we just thank you for this time of worship. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.